Hi everyone and welcome to another Firms Consulting Podcast and today I'm going to be talking about the big financial services study that we are running right now with our interns in the United States and Mexico. And you can follow the live vlogs, I'm not going to repeat what's there, but I'm going to kind of give you a brief background about what the study is about, talk you through some of the big decisions we are thinking through right now and where we are at this point in time in the study. So the study is for a very large bank that is a that has a mix of investors, private companies and government that is the majority shareholder. And this bank currently funds Hispanics south of the border and also north of the border. But they have no physical presence in the United States. So what normally happens is they fund Hispanics south of the border, we then take the money go to the United States, set up businesses, and then they repay the loans they collected, right? And the bank believes there's this massive opportunity in the United States, and they therefore believe that because of the massive opportunity in the United States, they have to enter the U.S. market. But the way they want to enter the U.S. market is, is something that they have a fairly good idea about. Beyond lending, now when I say they lend to entrepreneurs, small-scale entrepreneurs, there are there's one particular way they do, well, there's two ways they do it. One is there are many independent financial intermediaries that take money from the client, which we call lab, Latin American bank. So lab is a wholesaler. They take the money from lab and they, they then, those independent companies called distribution financial intermediaries, DFIs, lend the money to entrepreneurs. The entrepreneurs repay the money to the DFIs and DFIs repay LAB. Beyond that route to market, LAB also works with established banks in Mexico. And what these banks do is these banks lend money to small-scale entrepreneurs, but LAB guarantees the loan so that if there's a default on the loan, LAB is going to be on the hook for a certain percentage of that, right? Now, there's one other way LAB also supports entrepreneurs, it also takes equity investments. So if the business is of a certain size, lab will take an investment. Now the size of these businesses are not big. We're not talking about future Facebooks and so on. Lab is funding small scale entrepreneurs. And if you want to, anyone from the, the level of wanting to buy a cooker to produce food and sell on the streets, lab would fund you. All the way to medium sized businesses whereby maybe you want to um, set up a business that uh, is involved in small-scale construction, Lab would fund that. Now, Lab's strength is obviously the Hispanic network it has. It believes it's growing. It believes a lot of opportunities, and it wants to go into the U.S. market. But it wants to do it in a very specific way. Lab believes that the DFIs, the distribution financial intermediaries, are key to connecting with entrepreneurs, and Lab wants to displace them. It wants to build its own retail network. And we've been brought in to see if the market entry plan for the United States is viable. And second, if it's viable through a, a retail market entry option. And we've been working on this now for about two weeks. But working on it, when I say working on it now, um, it's pre-planning phases. We haven't um, started the study yet. The study begins on the 16th of June. We'll be doing the preliminary prepping, you know, reading the background material. Um, the interns arrive only on Wednesday 
and they go into four day, uh, three days of fairly intense onboarding. We will teach them about you know, how we do strategy analysis, how we build storyboards, how we conduct focus interviews and so on. Uh, so a lot of the thinking at this point is myself. I'll be the partner leading the study. Um, and the project leader from the client side, Guillermo, is going to be uh, work. He's been working with me quite a lot. And we have a subject matter expert that Guillermo has recommended called Andreas, who is also working with me. And we're trying to think through the broad issues. So the proposal has been submitted, it's been approved, but we still need to think through what are the key issues, how are we gonna structure the study, um, what are the hypotheses? We have some early thinking on that. And we're right at this point now before the interns arrive and all of the preparation has been done, all the planning has been done, and we need to, to go on site very soon, actually in one week exactly, and begin the study. So what have we found thus far? And I'm not gonna go into the details. I'm gonna go into this at the top down high level stuff, right? We're in a situation here whereby, you know, like typical strategy, the reason why the client wants to do the study is probably not the right reasons for doing the study. The client talks about the opportunities in the United States and so on, but you know, what we found is that the real reason they want to do this is because their core business is actually struggling quite substantially. And the majority shareholders, which is the government, and the minor shareholder, which is still a substantial shareholder, a private fund, is agitating that they need to see some results or return on the investment. And the return is twofold, right? The government wants to create jobs, while the private investor wants to create returns on the money they put in. And it's almost a, a bit of a debate here because this is not an American company. So the aim is not to create jobs in the United States, but to create jobs in a Latin American country. So why are they going to the United States? Well, they're going to the United States because they're following what is known as a cross subsidization model. They're trying to lend money to Hispanic immigrants and other immigrants and other low income entrepreneurs in the United States charge a slightly higher return than they can charge in their own country bring the excess returns to their own country and then subsidize loss-making job creation opportunities in their own in their own country so it, it's a very complex issue to get your head around but it's actually the model of most development finance banks around the world even the most successful development finance banks use this model because if you think about it a development finance bank exists because the private sector won't invest in something and the private sector won't invest in something that's either too risky or it's not making any returns so the development finance bank will do it. But if something's too risky and not making returns, you're obviously going to lose money. But if you lose money over a long enough period, you go bankrupt. And obviously no state government wants to continuously step in and recapitalize the balance sheet. So what is happening is there's pressure from the government and the shareholders to say, hey, you've got to move into more highly lucrative opportunities to fund the loss-making opportunities that you have to do that is good for the country. So this is the situation we're in, right? And I don't necessarily think this is any more of a challenging study than what we've done before. But what I think is interesting here is you've got a situation where a CEO is under a lot of pressure to get results, right? He's got sitting a lot of cash, but the, the country where the bank is located has a very low absorptive capacity. What, should mean, what that means is the, there's either not enough entrepreneurs or there is not enough appetite for funding, so you can't use that cash. So he's got to find a way to deploy that cash and get a high enough return. Now, 
if he if he lends the money into the market, he ends up losing a lot of it because default rates are very high. So he's looking for a market where he can get high returns, low default rates, and he's pegging the U.S. market to do that. But beyond that, you've got to you know you're compounded with a situation whereby what is the mandate of this bank? Is it to create a high return, or is it to create jobs? And if it is to create jobs, is it willing to take a loss in its home market? And this argument sake, call that market Mexico, right? Is it willing to take losses in Mexico to create jobs, but then fund a lot of businesses in the United States, whereby all the profit from the U.S. business cross-subsidizes the, the Mexican business? So that's the kind of debate we're dealing with here. Beyond that, this sounds to me not like a market entry strategy. It sounds to me a lot like a corporate entry strategy. So when we initially started, we went in and thinking, okay, this is just basic market entry strategy, but it's actually not. This is corporate strategy because this broad-based market entry strategy that's being developed is not really a separate part of the overall strategy, but it's actually the front end of what the CEO wants to be his overall strategy. At the same time, you've got an internal strategy unit which is hell-bent on entering the U.S. market and is already putting together plans to do so. They've said they've done the strategy and the analysis to show that it makes sense to enter the U.S. market. I'm not convinced. I've seen some of their work. It doesn't look that great. But at the same time, we're in a very difficult situation because of the fact there's plenty of BCG, Bain, and McKinsey partners and principals in that internal strategy unit. So they obviously believe they, they are doing the right thing. But, you know, I remain convinced that once you leave the firm, no matter how smart you are, standards begin dropping. You, you know, you're just in a situation where there's a conflict of interest, whereby you paid a bonus depending on how the organization does. You want the organization to do well. The organization tells you the only way we can do well is to enter the United States. And if you don't say yes as the internal strategy unit, you look like you're standing in the way of of success for the organization. So it's not about intellect. It's about the fact that once you're in an internal strategy unit, you're in an environment where you can no longer be an impartial and objective management consultant. So that's where we are at this point, right? Very interesting stage where we are moving in to doing the training. Now, the training is going to be quite intense. We, we're modeling it on exactly the same way McKinsey would run its training. In fact, just an hour ago, I was speaking to someone who's going to be doing their McKinsey internship in the Los, the Los Angeles office. And he was talking to me through the training McKinsey is using. And to be honest, I would say ours are even more intense, even more detailed, and I would say even more useful than the training they are using. So that's the core part because we've, we've brought in three MBA interns, all from American schools, one from a top 20 school and three from what they would call the top three schools. And they arrive on Wednesday, go through their training, and we then begin the study on Monday through um, focus interviews, shadow interviews, and so on. But I think the key thing here is if the study is morphing into a corporate strategy study, do we allow the study to adapt? Or do we say, if you look at the critical path before the corporate strategy can be done, we have to answer the question, is the U.S. market viable? If not, what is the options for the client? And that's the way I'm going to model it. I'm not going to adapt the study because I think that before any decisions that this client can make goes ahead, they need to think about whether the U.S. market is viable. And that's where we are going to focus on. Is the U.S. market viable? Is it viable for this client? And is it viable through a retail structure to enter the U.S. market? I think it's going to be very exciting. It's definitely going to have a big impact. As mentioned on the live blog, we are going to be you know, capturing footage as we do the study, posting focus interview feedback in real time, 
as we interview people, take photographs, take videos and post it so you can see exactly what we are doing and how we do it. The key here is that, you know, to renew America, you can't have 30, 40 million people unbanked, cut out of the economic system. There has to be a way to integrate them. So even if Lab isn't the company to do that, we think the findings and the results will lay the foundation for another company to think about how they can go ahead and serve the unbanked in the U.S. market. And just remember, the, the underlying premise here is that every market is attractive, provided you can make the economics work. There's no such thing as an unattractive market segment. So if we understand the economics of the unbanked in the United States, and even if lab cannot bring their cost structure down to serve that market profitably, by putting that data, it's going to be a ton of data, if by putting that data out there, we are able to show other companies the economics of the unbanked sector and allow them to think about entering the market. So while lab may not be the right organization for the U.S. unbanked market, and I'm not saying it's not, it may be, in the long term, everyone wins through the approach we've taken for the study. Make the data available, make the analysis available, document everything so you can understand the economics of the unbanked. And it's almost like, an, you know, they use a term in, in software and API, whereby you make the core code available to everyone. We're kind of doing the same thing, making the core findings, but also the mechanics of the findings available to everyone so that they can plug and play and change things. And, you know, together, hopefully we can renew America. As always, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to me and I'll be happy to respond to you.